This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Am I the only one this happens to? You try to move an icon on the home screen of your phone, and then suddenly other icons start moving, and you just wanted to move one, and then four others are in different screens, and it's hard to get them back. Maybe it's my own idiocy, or maybe it's just the iPhone. I don't know if other phones do this better. Why can't it just be you click on the thing you want to move, it it tells you, you know, um, it comes up with a prompt saying edit home screen, and nothing else moves except the one that you want to move and the one you want to trade places with or whatever. <sighs> I got no time for this. And my computer crashed this morning. But I, I'm in a good mood. It's Friday. Hope you have a good weekend coming up. We're not quite, it, quite as crazed as we usually are on Fridays with Media Buzz, which airs Sunday at 11 Eastern on Fox. Uh, but we've got some things we got to do including reporting out the uh, President Biden and the sanctions against Russia. We'll talk about that in seconds. And as well, we also have the results tomorrow night, Saturday night, from the South Carolina primary, which will be pretty freshly baked news when we come on the air Sunday morning. Meanwhile, this moon landing, how about that? Uh, I'm just fascinated by this. First time in 50 years that the United States has put a spacecraft on the moon. Now, I suppose this depends on how much you followed this in the past, because I remember actually being on a camping trip, an organized camping trip, and the bus pulling over into some motel or something, as I recall, where there was a little black and white TV in the lobby, and that's how I watched the first big step for mankind, the first man landing on the moon, Apollo 11. This is admittedly less exciting, and other countries, a handful of other countries, Russia, Japan, have landed unmanned spacecraft on the moon since then. But it was not without drama, Odysseus, uh, successfully touched down, but the private company that uh, developed this called Intuitive Machines, um, they didn't get a signal. They got a very faint signal, so they didn't know for sure at NASA whether this thing had landed safely. But then the engineers went to work, and they there were some broken parts, and they had to use lasers, and finally... They were able to confirm that the craft was upright and starting to send data. Uh, so it landed soft touchdown. That's not easy to do when it's the moon. And, of course, this is now part of a effort to return American astronauts to the moon over the next few years. The technology has changed a lot since 1969. And, of course... 
The moon landing in 69 fulfilled a promise from JFK. And it was all tied up with the uh, Cold War, Soviet Union, what was called the space race, who would get to the moon first. Well, no other country has still landed a human being on the moon except for the United States of America. Okay. Uh, Back here on more earthly matters, President Biden's dog, Commander, new information, Secret Service emails, bit Secret Service agents about 24 times. That is more than previously reported. Now, Commander was the second German shepherd to live in the Biden White House. Uh, At least two dozen episodes between 2022 and 2023. Secret Service leaders began tracking the incidents. And Commander was banished from the White House. Now lives with other family members. Uh, The previous German Shepherd, who you may recall his name is Major, also got sent off to somebody's house after several biting incidents. Well, I think this has clearly had been a threat to national security. And maybe, you know, Biden just needs to get like a tiny little poodle or something. Um, So, one agent wrote in these new memos, the recent dog bites have challenged us to adjust our operational tactics when commander is present. Be creative to ensure our own personal safety. I'm sorry, it's a hard enough job working in the White House as it is. If you're in fear of getting bit, you know, that's no laughing matter. So now Biden is 0 for 2 with dogs in the White House. All right, let me get more serious here as we turn to story number one. So it was announced early this morning, President Biden, having promised to make the announcement today, Imposing sanctions on more than 500 targets in Russia, all in response to the murder of Alexei Navalny. This is the largest single package of sanctions, because obviously there have been a lot of them imposed because of the war, the invasion of Ukraine, and also those have had, I would say, mixed success because. Vladimir Putin has found ways around them. In any event, uh, the Treasury and State Department will be providing more details. It's not clear, as I'm talking to you, which individuals or which parts of the Russian economy are being targeted. But Biden put out a statement saying if Putin does not pay the price for his death and destruction, he will keep going. And the cost to the United States, along with our NATO allies and partners in Europe and around the world, will rise. This is in response to the ongoing war of conquest on Ukraine and for the death of Alexei Navalny, who was a courageous anti-corruption activist and Putin's fiercest opposition leader. The failure to support Ukraine at this critical moment will not be forgotten. So what Joe Biden is trying to do is, is this. He had to respond and at least appear to respond in a strong way to the death of the opposition leader, Navalny. And by the way, President Biden, who was uh, in San Francisco yesterday, 
met with Navalny's widow, Yulia, who has vowed to take over the leadership of her late husband's movement. And the White House released a picture of them hugging. And I think it was important. I mean, Biden happens to be very good at this consoling thing. But uh, that's tough. You know, he only died a few days ago. And obviously she's filled with grief, but also with anger. She says she actually said in her video she wanted her countrymen who are at least uh, have uh, are opposed to Putin to share her rage. That was the word she used. But what Biden is also trying to do is not just show that this would go without a response, but show that he was going to take this very, very, very seriously, but to try to get some movement on military aid to Ukraine at a time when the country is struggling, when it's just lost uh, a major town to the Russians, when it's running low on ammunition, and we're still gridlocked. So a major military aid bill for Ukraine, for Israel, for Taiwan, has passed the Senate. And I think that was with 67 votes. So it couldn't be filibustered to death. But House Speaker Mike Johnson is saying he's not going to bring it to the floor. Then on arrival and all that. So given the Republicans' tight edge in the House, the question is, either A, is there a way to pressure the Speaker into changing his mind? B, is there a way to circumvent him through what's known as a discharge position, meaning if you get enough votes, you get a majority, you can force a bill onto the floor over the Speaker's objections? Or C, is there some kind of compromise that could be worked out? Because the whole world is watching. And it's embarrassing. I understand this legitimate debate about how much longer we're going to support Ukraine, whether Ukraine can win, whether this war is going to go on forever, whether there could be some kind of settlement. My colleague Brett Baer talking uh, to Vladimir Zelensky in an interview that aired last night. And he said, look, whether you provide aid or don't provide aid, will survive. But not as many of us will survive. So Zelensky is clear-eyed about the rise in casualties that's already started and could continue without USA. Yes, Europe is trying to help, but Europe doesn't have the military-industrial base to provide a whole lot of help real quickly. Only the U.S. can do that. So I think the sanctions here serving a dual purpose. There's a double meaning here, and that's the reason for the messaging in the Biden announcement. Number two, as I mentioned, South Carolina primary is tomorrow. I must say there's a real lack of drama about it. Uh, In fact, Politico had one column that was headlined something pretty close to, uh, how did the South Carolina primary turn into such a snooze? Well, the answer is there's only two candidates. One of them is going to win, Donald Trump, by a really big margin, even if the polling is off. The other candidate, former Governor Nikki Haley, who says she'll stay in regardless of a loss. She knows how to read polls. Stay in at least until Super Tuesday in early March. Has been campaigning really hard, getting increasingly tough in her rhetoric against Trump. And it doesn't seem to be doing her much good. You know, it's embarrassing not only not to not be able to win your home state, but not to be able to at least make it competitive. 
And so one interesting explanation here is in a different piece by Politico saying this, that it's not all about Trump. Obviously, Trump has blown out the opposition in Iowa, in New Hampshire, and now in a one-on-one, which all of the anti-Trump figures and candidates and donors said they wanted. And even though Nikki Haley's done one well to be the last woman standing, it's about to happen in a third straight state. Since leaving the governor's office, says Politico, Haley has largely ignored the state's grassroots activists. According to interviews with more than a dozen GOP operatives. So back in December, a junior level staffer on the Haley campaign sent the South Carolina GOP an email saying, uh, how can we find out about county party events so that Nikki Haley can start sending surrogates to these events? It was a surprisingly basic question coming from the campaign of the state's former two-term governor. And it was off-putting, say these uh, state officials, because it came so late in the election cycle and from someone so unfamiliar with the state party. Significant problem for Haley has been, years after she left the governor's office, Haley failed to nurture her own base of support with the party faithful. Here's a quote from former head of the Columbia, South Carolina Tea Party, Alan Olson. We didn't abandon her. She abandoned us. And he had been a Haley supporter when she was elected governor. So she's got an electorate. It's, you know, pretty conservative state. No newsflash there that's enamored of Donald Trump. But, you know, you always got to tend to your base. And we talk about base usually in ideological terms. If you're a conservative, is it the most conservative elements of the party? If your base is women, if your base is minorities, whatever it is, you got to start with that and build outward. So Haley had become a stranger, a stranger, at state and local party events, avoiding the silver elephant dinners. I've never been to a silver elephant dinner myself. I assume elephant is not on the menu. Uh, party conventions, grassroots gathering. And instead was on national speaking tours and book tours, stumping for Republicans around the country and, you know, going on national TV and trying to get a national presidential campaign launched. So I don't think this is the determining factor, but it doesn't help. If she had maintained strong relations with Republicans in the state, you know, maybe she would have lost by 12 points instead of 24, or it could be 30. But she chose a different route, and in politics, sometimes you have to pay for those decisions. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Story number three, what I am calling the backlash. So I've talked extensively on this podcast, and we will talk more about it on Sunday's Media Buzz, about these pretty prominent liberal and left-leaning pundits. Uh, Michelle Goldberg at the New York Times, Ezra Klein, the podcaster, and Nate Silver, the data guru, and others, all of whom have written, said, begged, beseeched, declared 
that as much as they love Joe Biden and as much as they believe that Biden has been a good president and they usually, because they feel a little guilty, tick through all the accomplishments from infrastructure to foreign affairs and so forth. And the economy bouncing back, although it doesn't do, be doing much to help Biden. So they've all said he shouldn't run for a second term. He's too old. The public thinks he's too old. And at 81, he should step aside, except it's kind of too late for that. So they came up with this scenario, which maybe you've heard me say about, well, Biden, it's too late in terms of the filing deadlines for anybody to mount a credible challenge. Biden should just, you know, mass all the delegates that he can, go to the convention, and then the kind of drama we haven't had since the 1968 Democratic convention in Chicago, which was a complete and total disaster, because there was violence, there was Richard Daley's cops beating up protesters. It was just awful. It was an awful spectacle, and it certainly um, didn't help Hubert Humphrey as he was trying as vice president to beat Richard Nixon in his second presidential run. Well, we all know how that turned out. So they're saying step aside. Let the convention pick the nominee. So John Fetterman, Democratic senator who has shown some independence from the party on a number of issues, uh, was on Morning Joe yesterday. And he says he doesn't understand why Democrats are criticizing Biden. He says that they're airing their grievances, quote, too publicly, maybe trying to, I don't know whether you're just chasing clout or want to make it into the news or anything like that. But if you're not willing to just support the president and say these kinds of things, you might as well just get your MAGA hat now because you are helping Trump. Well, Fetterman's a blunt guy. And his message is a lot clearer since he's made a substantial recovery, I would say, from the stroke that befell him on the night of the primary. He's basically saying, shut up. You don't have anything to say. Don't help Trump. Or you're no better than a MAGA person, which in the Democratic Party is a big insult. And and some go even further. MSNBC analyst Claire McCaskill, a former Democratic senator, really did not like the fact that the New York Times dared to do what was a fairly mild fact check on some of Joe Biden's economic claims. You know, this was exaggerated, this lacked context, that kind of thing. And, you know, in a couple of cases, that just it was wrong. I move, says McCaskill, that every newspaper in America quits doing any fact checks on Joe Biden until they fact-check Donald Trump every morning on the front page. It is ridiculous that the New York Times fact-checks Joe Biden on something. Uh, I'm sorry, Senator. It's not ridiculous. It's journalism. It's what we do. There should be more Biden fact-checks and plenty of Trump fact-checks. And the the argument is that Trump lies all the time and everybody's gotten used to it and it's all been uh, normalized and so they don't even bother. Are you kidding me? I mean, it may not be in the form and the guise of a fact-check column, but anytime Trump says anything, whether it's at a rally or a true social or you name it, you know, MSNBC, CNN, some shows on Fox will come on the next day and say, well, that's not true. Or it's exaggerated. Or why would Biden go there? 
like, oh, here it is, calling uh, Putin an SOB. We'll get to that in just a second. And then Lawrence O'Donnell, uh, who hosts a late night show on MSNBC, did this long monologue saying, you know, you want to push Biden aside? Fine. Tell me who you'd replace him with, who will poll better against Donald Trump. On the one hand, you could say, well, anybody who's in their 40s or 50s would draw the age contrast. On the other hand, you've got Kamala Harris, who would obviously try for it, but has pretty low poll numbers, even though I think her messaging has gotten better lately. Uh, and then you go through the list, Gretchen Whitmer, Gavin Newsom. I mean, I'm sure a lot of Democrats will run and run. But let's say that happened, and let's say the convention picks Gavin Newsom, okay? Well, all the junkies and insiders know about Gavin Newsom's record. There's also plenty of things to be criticized there, such as, you know, when he dined at a fancy French restaurant during the COVID shutdown, and also about his personal life. But the real challenge is he having won zero primaries or caucuses or Governor Whitmer or whoever you want to put your chips on, would have two months to introduce him or herself to the country, attack Donald Trump, be the uh, recipient of a barrage of attacks with most of the country not knowing much about their record unless you happen to live in that particular state. So it's not that O'Donnell doesn't have a point. It's that Dems are nervous, anxious, in some cases, frightened. That used to be said that Trump was the only candidate that Biden could beat. You can flip that around and say the easiest candidate for Donald Trump to beat at 77 would be 81-year-old Joe Biden. All right, story three. As I mentioned earlier, President Biden meeting with Navalny's widow and uh, daughter, expressing his condolences, even as the... uh, Kremlin says, oh, he died from natural causes, believed by probably no one except some folks in Russia. Um, Biden said that Putin is responsible for Navalny's death. And this is really sickening. But, you know, every time Russia hits a new low, you think they can't go any lower, the Russians? His mother, that is... Navalny's mother, Ludmila Navalny, she went to try to see his body. They wouldn't let her. They held on to it. Finally, she was allowed to see his body yesterday. But she was pressured, she says, to agree to a secret Burial, a secret funeral, because the Kremlin is afraid, naturally, that there would be huge demonstrations if it were made public. And she didn't want to do that. And she was told, well, if you don't go along, uh, we'll just have to have the body decompose. I mean, the guy is dead and they're pulling this crap on his mother, this garbage, this appalling Situation? Wow. And what I was alluding to earlier is at a fundraiser, so it's not on camera, where Joe Biden called Vladimir Putin a crazy SOB. And the Kremlin then struck back and accused our president of Hollywood 
cowboy-style behavior. I'm sorry, who's the crazier SOB or cowboy? Somebody who launches an unprovoked war and sacrifices thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of his own people? Or somebody who tries to defend the country that was invaded? Oh, but then it really got, I couldn't figure out whether this is sarcastic or whatever. And so they're, you know, the Russians are saying this is all about domestic uh, U.S. politics. And then the Kremlin repeating something that Putin had said last week, which was that it was in Russia's interest for Biden to win a second term. Uh, Putin says he cannot say Vladya. I guess that's his nickname. Good boy. Thank you. You helped me a lot. We understand what is happening with internal politics. Putin said. But you know, what he's really trying to do is, obviously he would prefer Donald Trump. Obviously he has a friendly relationship with Donald Trump. Obviously he had a friendly relationship with President Trump during his four years in office. But he knows if he muddies the waters by saying, yeah, I kind of want Biden to win, that um, it will not, it's not the endorsement you want. You want Taylor Swift. You don't want Putin, okay? We'll get it down to the uh, easy-to-understand term. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. All right, story four. Still got a lot to get to here. Hang in with me. Wanted to get this in yesterday. Kind of ran out of time. Speaker Mike Johnson was off at a weekend retreat with the Republicans. And... According to sources, a number of news organizations had this. I happened to find this in Politico. Took a surprisingly religious tone. Uh, they were uh, at a hotel in Miami. Of course, you're going to go somewhere warm for these retreats. Um, and the anonymous sources say that rather than outlining a plan to try to grow the slight majority that Republicans have in the House, Johnson delivered a sermon. Uh, you know, they've got a two-seat majority right now. He is, of course, openly a very devout Christian. He talked about the moral decline in America, focusing on declining church membership and the nation's shrinking religious identity. Uh, Speaker Johnson saying that when one doesn't have God in their life, the government or state will become their guide, referring back to Bible verses. They said the approach fell flat. And so the approach fell flat, at least according to some people in the room. I'm not at church, one of those people said. Called the presentation horrible. I think what he was trying to do, but failed on the execution of it, was to bring us together. Sermon was so long, he couldn't bring it back to make the point. All right, look, I mean, Mike Johnson can talk about whatever he wants. He can talk about his religious faith. He can talk about God. He can talk about Unity. And, um, but he, you know, he, he had a very specific audience, is the point. And that audience, let's just say he got mixed reviews. And of course, anything you say to a room full of politicians is going to leak in about 12 seconds. Okay, story number five. I've been meaning to take this up with you for a few days. And uh, I finally have the opportunity here. It's about Instagram. 
course, owned by Mark Zuckerberg and Meta. And that's an increasingly important news outlet in this campaign, so says the New York Times. As of last year, 16% of American adults regularly got news on Instagram, a higher percentage than TikTok, which gets so much publicity, X, and Reddit, and up from 8% back in 2018. That's according to Pew Research. More than half women. Now, this is sort of like, you know, the legacy media outlet, the gray lady saying, oh, there's this thing called Instagram and people get news from it. But obviously, Meta has made no secret of the fact that it doesn't particularly like politics for either Facebook or Instagram, doesn't promote it for either Facebook or Instagram. And yet there's a hunger for it, at least among some people. I mean, Instagram obviously was originally a photo sharing site video sharing site, but now there's a lot more messaging on it, and some of that is politics. So it was just, I don't know, a couple weeks ago that the head of Instagram, Adam Masseri, said Instagram would not recommend political content to users unless they sort of opted into seeing it. Well, people get to make up their own minds, and there are a lot of influencers now. I love how that's a term. It's like a job description. Um, that go on Instagram and talk, analyze, have fun with politics. Meanwhile, as far as the, what, what would we call it, the Paleolithic media, including the Times, including NPR, shares of posts from 70 major news accounts on Instagram. I just gave you the example of two fell 26% week after week, according to some social media study firm. But the influencers, well, you know, they're kind of like the old-time bloggers. They talk to the camera like TikTok and YouTube influencers. They source headlines from major outlets while adding their own analysis. They talk with followers in comments and through direct messages using the feedback and the questions to shape additional posts. Many say they're nonpartisan. Here's an example. Jessica Yellen, former chief White House correspondent for CNN, uh, left that network uh, quite a number of years ago, went out on her own, and she's quoted as saying, for many people, they have the chefs that they trust, the doctors they trust, and then there's a category of news and information they trust. She has 650,000 followers on her Instagram account. And a brand called News Not Noise calls herself an info answer. Info, got it? Now, so she went into the Instagram business, I guess you would call it. And, you know, I'm on, I'm on Instagram, and I don't see a lot of the political content, but I guess I have to do something to seek it out. I'm already drowning in media, social media, texts, and you name it. Um, so here's a former high school teacher in Duluth, Minnesota. More than 1 million followers just by explaining the fundamentals of government. Sounds a bit on the dull side, but obviously people are eating this stuff up. Um, and then there's a lawyer 
with 134,000 followers. There's Roca News, R-O-C-A, founded by 20-somethings who view Instagram as a key way to reach their peers who feel alienated, not looking at anybody in particular, by traditional news outlets. So the ex-high school teacher in Minnesota said she was inspired to do this by seeing a lot of misinformation uh, before the 2020 election. And she's posted on, you know, charts about migrant encounters at the border, gotten from customs, uh, gathering more than 30,000 likes. She got an interview with Dean Phillips, the Democrat who's challenging Joe Biden. What else has he got to do? Uh, This woman, Sharon McMahon, says, I don't really view myself as a journalist, but more as a teacher. I'm explaining what's happening rather than getting a scoop, digging up the story and making sources. Now, some of these influencers accept paid sponsorships that they incorporate into their Instagram posts. Well, you know, they got to make money. And that's their form of advertising. And, you know, the whole thing just reminds me of podcasts in the sense that it's an alternative method. It's a looser, more informal method. Anybody can play if you can get enough people to listen to you, read you, look at your videos, and look at your politics commentary. You know, I mean, I just think, particularly among younger folks who grew up as sort of Internet natives, you know, the whole, like, now we're going to give you the news. And uh, we will do story one, two, and three. Then we'll have a commercial, and we will come back and give you more news. This is a very one-way transaction. That's how most of us grew up, with television news. You've really been around a long time, radio news. Then came the web, of course. But this is sort of the further democratization of the web where anybody can start an Instagram account. And look, there's obviously a zillion Instagram accounts just devoted to celebrities and interesting photos. But politics is now a thing on Instagram. I think that's what this piece is trying to say. And as with podcasts, you know, a more traditional podcast, I'd have a panel here, I'd interview guests, and and people who do that on podcasts get a lot of followers too. But it enables other voices to be heard, and it enables, um, it's kind of the creation of a product that didn't exist before, and it's improving increasingly popular. And if people at major news organizations, and there are exceptions, although, you know, a lot of the new media approaches like Vice, which went bankrupt last year and had 900 employees left and just laid off a few hundred more, BuzzFeed News, no longer in existence, you know, didn't work out. People tried. But maybe a lot of them just didn't have the right model, the right personalities, weren't hip enough, weren't quick enough, weren't funny enough, weren't, you know, you name it. That's the thing. It's, it's all become a free-for-all. And yes, that does raise questions about the accuracy of information. But look, the mainstream media have had just huge problems with accuracy of information, and with bias. You know, you have most people in this country only trusting the sources that agree with them. And when you have this teacher who's, you know, using customs figures to talk about the border, at least she's showing her work, as you're often told to do with homework. So I think it's a cool thing, and I'm going to look further into it.
and uh, maybe ramp up my Instagram game. All right, another reminder, Media Buzz, Sunday morning, 11 Eastern on Fox, and a programming note. Although I've worked all the time on this podcast because I enjoy doing it and I hope you enjoy it, and because um, I've worked holidays and you name it, I will be off next week from the podcast. And you'll have to fend for yourselves, but should be back the following week. Hope you'll check me out then. I'll blast it out. Uh, and probably have a lot to catch up with. Have a great weekend, folks. See you shortly with more BuzzMeet. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts, and Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.